Without question, fishing is really a game of decision. How fast you make those decisions, how correctly you make those decisions, and with how much confidence you make those decisions will directly affect your success on any given day. We're going to discuss that and more on this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I'm Chad Lachance, and you're listening to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. All things fishful, all the time. All right, guys, Lachance here. Uh, this could be a big topic, uh, fishing decisions. It really is the whole shooting match of sport fishing in one topic. Uh, obviously not something I can address in the next 30 minutes, but I'm going to give it a whirl. A uh, little bit of background. This information is coming from a lifelong uh, angler, right? I've been doing this my entire life. And then back around the mid-90s, I started tournament bass fishing. Uh, Tournament fishing is even more a game of decisions than regular fishing because of the clock aspect that you're under. Uh, Had reasonable success as a tournament bass fisherman. Went on to coach uh, some kids as well as a high school coach. Uh, had very good success there, up to and including winning the national championship, and uh, and also have been a fishing guide since 2004, and traveled around the country filming Fishful Thinker television since 2009. So, long story short, we spent a lot of time in important scenarios on the clock, let's just say, trying to figure out how fast we can break down fisheries. And if you're a fan of this podcast, you know we have some standard spots that we always check. Inlets, outlets, boat ramps, dams, and bridges if they are available. Those are our standard spots. We always will hit those. If we don't know anything else about a lake we're going to, uh, we will always hit those. And the reason being is it helps me work through the decision process much quicker by having a standardized set of places that I begin my search. But let's say I go to those places, I get a little bit of information. How do I apply that information to the rest of my outing? And that's really why we use those spots. It's one less variable to deal with. Uh, you can count on the fact that on any given day, on any given lake, just about any kind of species, can be found, at least a few of, in the inlet, uh, potentially the outlet if there is one, Uh, boat ramps of course, we talk about those a lot, Uh, and also dams, and dams because of their structural element, and then potentially bridges as well. Bridges typically occur on pinch points in a lake, Uh, pilings, a mix of, you know, bottom uh, cover, things like that, rocks and gravel and all that occur around bridges very commonly to prevent erosion. Same with boat ramps. Uh, so those are why we start at those places. But you have to be able to take the information from those places and extrapolate it to other things around the lake. So uh, that's really where the shoot matches won or lost on any given day. And I believe that taking a systematic approach to it, just like every other part of our angling, is important. So let's start through some of these basic decisions. Let's say, first of all, how long am I willing to fish without changing something and without success? In other words, I've been fishing on my spot now for the last 30 minutes. I I caught fish for a little bit. Uh, Now it's been 10 minutes. I haven't caught anything. 10 minutes is a general rule of thumb you'll hear tournament guys use a lot. Say, oh, well, if you haven't caught anything in 10 minutes, it's time to change something. I am not even that patient in a lot of scenarios. It's often that I will change something in the span of just a few minutes if I am confident that I've put my bait in front of fish. So how do I get that confidence? 
Well, it could be from my sonar unit. It could be from my Lowrance unit, uh, particularly these days. You guys have forward-facing sonar that's in real time, and I can see that my lure is in front of fish. If they come up and they look at my lure and they don't bite it, I don't need them to do that a bunch of times for me to change something. And so that's going to be uh, one of the most obvious ones is using my graph. Assuming that I can see them on my forward-facing sonar or my live-action sonar, if I'm using traditional sonar, at least I know there are fish there, and I will, again, have a little bit more confidence that they're still around. If I can see them visibly uh, with, my, with my eyes, with my costas, fantastic. Then I can, again, gauge the mood of my fish or gauge whether there are fish or if they, uh, and, and they're refusing what I'm throwing or if they're not there at all and I'm fishing in the wrong place. There's an old saying that 90% of the fish are in 10% of the water, I don't know if it's quite that extreme, but there's no question that particularly with certain species, they're here now, gone a minute later, and it doesn't matter what I change if I keep fishing in the same spot. So if I'm confident I'm around the fish, then I'll go just a few minutes between changing something in my presentation before, um, before I give up. I will change. Uh, size, color, speed, depth, whatever the case might be, um, depending on what I'm seeing in the environment right then, uh, and see if I can instigate those fish to bite. If And I'll do that no more than about a five-minute interval at the most. And I'll make a half dozen presentations, a dozen presentations around a spot, maybe depending on how big the spot is. Um, and, and if I haven't gotten any feedback, I'm going to change something else. If the fish aren't giving me some feedback, if I'm getting no feedback at all, and I have no idea that, or no, no, no confidence per se, uh, or no strong evidence that there are fish where I'm at, then I might go more like 10 minutes to make sure I'm not missing something, rotate a few different presentations, but then I'm firing up the motor and I'm out the door. Uh, I'm going somewhere else. And the reason being is sometimes finding fish in a better scenario, more willing to bite, is better than trying to force fish that you know are there to bite, or even worse, fishing where you don't know there's fish. So uh, some of this could be species-specific as well, and some of it can be uh, conditions-specific, and you have to keep those two things in mind. So when deciding if there's fish here, the first thing I'm considering, it might be my species of fish, because let's say that I'm dealing with something like white bass or wipers, something that tend to roam. Well, they might be here now and gone tomorrow, just as fast as the bait fish, or here now and gone two minutes later, just as fast as the bait fish might. Same thing with reservoir trout. They might be on their bicycle and off and running, and they're 500 yards away from where you are by the time you've you've figured out that it's it, you need to make a move. So, Conversely, if I'm dealing with something like a largemouth bass, well, he's fat and lazy, and he's probably not going to go very far. It's just a matter of if he shut down. His fat and laziness kicked in, and he shut down, and maybe he's not going to bite anymore. Same thing with something like sulking walleyes, walleyes that get, that get grumpy and lay on the bottom. We've all had walleyes that you can see on the graph, and you can't get them to bite no matter what you do. That's a possibility as well. But again, I'm going to go back to which species it is before I decide how fast I'm going to uh, be willing to leave them and, uh, and go looking for other ones or be willing to leave a spot and go looking for other ones. Now, all time things aside, the next decision you have to make is, let's say I'm going to change my lure. Well, 
if I'm getting any feedback from the fish to tell me that uh, I'm in the ballpark, that will help me. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean, let's say something like I'm getting follows. If I'm getting trout or smallmouth that are following my bait up to the boat or up to the bank, but not biting it, well, then I know I'm in the ballpark. I've got their attention, but I don't maybe have exactly the right bait to get them to bite. In that case, I might just change my retrieve. I might speed my retrieve up to get those fish to bite, force them to commit. I might steer the bait a little bit more uh, to, again, give them some incentive to bite. And so rather than my bait moving in a straight line straight towards me, maybe I'm steering the rod tip hard to the right and then hard to the left and making the bait change speed and direction ever so slightly as I retrieve it. Maybe I'll throw a hiccup in my retrieve so where instead of a state even retrieve, I'll hit the reel two or three times faster uh, in a row real quick, something like that. Uh, might be that, say I'm getting some bites doing a stop and go retrieve with a jig that's making bottom contact. In other words, pointing the bite, the, the rod right at it, wind it three or four times real fast, and then kill it without moving the rod. Well, that bait's going to pendulum on tight line all the time. Well, maybe they're following that, or maybe my bites quit. Well, now I'll snap it a little harder. I'll snap the bait off the bottom and let it fall on more slack line. The bait will, meet, will move quicker. It's the same lure, the same jig. It's just going to move a whole bunch quicker. Uh, and that might instigate some bites. So if I'm confident around fish, I might do that. I might downsize slightly. So let's say I'm catching them pretty good on a three inch Berkeley power tube. Well, then I might go to a two and a half inch power tube, or maybe I'm catching them on a four inch gulp minnow and I'll downsize it to a three inch gulp minnow. Again, maybe it's just a little bit too big and the fish are getting a, look, a good look at it and they're curious, but they're deciding not to commit to it. Again, that would be a small change, but it would be a change nonetheless. Typically, if I'm going to size a lure, uh, change size of the lure, it's going to be in the downward direction, not the larger direction if I'm getting follows from fish. I might tone the color back a little bit if I'm getting follows or swirls. So in other words, my color's too hot. The fish are seeing it too much. Maybe if I put a more natural color on, I can get them to go ahead and commit and pick the bait up. But follows and swirls are great. The problem is you can't eat them. So you've got to figure out how to get those fish to bite. And I would rather be getting follows, fish swirling a bait or short biters uh, than no feedback at all, because then at least I don't, I don't need to change spots. I just need to change my presentation a little bit. If I'm getting follows with something like a crankbait that, that's a, just a real even retrieve style bait, well, then I'll, almost invariably I'm going to set that thing down and grab a jerkbait that runs in the same depth range or close to the same depth range, maybe a little bit shallower. That jerkbait's going to be much more erratic and give a chance uh, to, to trigger fish to bite a little bit more. So that might be one of the changes I'll make is to go from a rhythmic bait to an erratic bait, which is not terribly dissimilar to going from a stop and go retrieve to a snap jig again, can be an excellent way to trigger some fish that aren't that are no longer biting. If I've been getting fish to go on a surface bait, maybe I'll throw a slow sinking bait like a Berkeley General, like a, a Senko style soft, soft stick worm and let that thing settle down real slowly through the water column uh, where the surface commotion was getting them going, but now they're tuned into it. Now they need something that's sinking as though it's the aftermath, sinks nice and slow. Uh, that's a good good scenario as well. Let's consider at any given point that the 
more aggressive your bait is in terms of action, vibration, sound, the more chance that a fish is going to have to locate that bait from a longer distance away. And he might be curious to see what all the noise and commotion is all about, but not willing to bite it. So typically, if I'm throwing something obnoxious, loud, uh, fast, noisy, anything like that, then I will go to something more subtle if I'm getting follows but not bites. If I'm getting no feedback at all with something more subtle, maybe I'll throw something very obnoxious because you can get fish to trigger and that can be a really good way to get them to go as well. But again, these are all scenarios of me sitting on one spot, not going anywhere and fishing an area that I believe that fish are in and around in different ways and I'm gonna mix up my presentation. There's almost no scenario where I'm gonna make a very minor change. In other words, I'm gonna go from a brown tube jig to a green tube jig. No, it's not likely to happen. I'll go from a bigger one to a smaller one. I'll go from a bright colored one to a natural colored one. But subtle changes, in my experience, really aren't worth the time. You almost always need a little bit more um, uh, change overall to really get a measurable distance to move the needle on your catch rate for the day. Uh, if I'm throwing something loud and gaudy like, a, let's say, a jerkbait in a bright color, well then cutting that one off and putting something that's translucent on, again, be a great change to commit, get fish to commit to biting your bait. So those are, again, all changes if I know I'm around fish. But Let's switch gears a little bit here and say that I've been catching them really good and they just quit biting. I'm sure they're still here, but they quit biting. Well, maybe I need to just rest my fish, at which point it's an excellent time to sit down in the boat, have a sandwich, drink some water, rig some tackle, whatever you got to do, but don't make presentations for a little bit. Park the boat in one spot and don't make presentations for a little bit. Just let everything calm down. Let the fish reset on their spot and then maybe they'll go back to biting. It might be the scenario why they quit biting might just be that you caught several of them and now everybody knows something's up in the in, on the spots here. Something's going down in the hood and they all get real tight-lipped for a little bit. If you just sit there for 10 minutes, they have little tiny brains and great big mouths. They'll forget what was going on. And then you might be surprised that your very first cast will catch you, uh, catch you fish again. Interestingly enough, when we won the Costa High School Bassmaster National Championship, uh, you have a mandatory lunch break. You have to take it. Everybody has to take it in the whole tournament at the same time. And you can't mess with your fishing tackle at all. You just have to sit down in the boat. For all three days of the tournament competition, and this took place in Kentucky Lake in Tennessee, all three days of the competition, we would make sure that when we were going into that lunch break, break that my boat was parked in the next spot I wanted to fish, that the shallow water anchors were sunk and the boat was sitting right there without moving. Then we would sit down, take our mandatory 15-minute break, eat our sandwich, talk about strategy, blah, blah, blah. I had my kids understand in a deep understanding, we are quiet the whole time we're in the boat. We are not going to make a lot of noise while we eat our sandwiches. We're not going to move around in the boat a whole bunch because what I wanted is those fish to all reset around the boat because we were fishing very shallow cover, very shallow, like knee deep or less. So I wanted all the fish to decide that the boat's sitting there, nothing's going on, no problem. On two of the three days, our largest fish of 
the day came right after the lunch break where we stood up very quietly and made the first couple of presentations to the fish that have decided the boat that came sneaking in there, it weighs 3,000 pounds, displaces a ton of water. Everybody knows when you come sneaking in there, all those bass knew that we were there. But when the boat just sits there for 10, 15 minutes and without moving at all, without anybody doing anything, well, then the fish realize that, hey, nothing's going on. It's the same scenario as resetting on fish that you've been catching a whole bunch of. It paid the bills for us in that tournament, and it's paid the bills for me a lot of times on guide days where I've got two anglers, they're cleaning house, catching tons of fish, the bite dies, I sit down in the boat, everybody get quiet for a few minutes, and then we go back to fishing, and lo and behold, they'll go right back to biting. So that can be a good scenario as well. I don't generally leave fish and then come back to them because if I do that, first of all, you run the risk of other people being sitting on them, which if you're not worried about that, then so be it. And two, then you still have to come back and disrupt the area as the boat comes back. If you can just sit there and stay there for a minute, you're going to be better off. Obviously, if you're walking on the bank, not so much. You might be able to move up and down the bank and, and not, not bother anybody and go from spot to spot that route. So uh, let's say, change gears completely, guys. And let's say that, okay, I have no more confidence there's fish here. I either caught them all, which is an ego thing. You never catch all of them. I scared them all, which is possible. I'm going somewhere else. They left, whatever the scenario is. I'm going somewhere else. Well, if I was catching them good on a spot, then I'm going to pattern fish. Well, what do we mean by pattern fish? I'm going to go to another spot with this as close to the same characteristics as the spot I'm sitting on. If I'm sitting on a big sloping main lake point, big, you know, tapering main lake point, well, then I'm going to go to the next closest one with the same orientation to whatever river channel it might be or the same sun or wind being a key one, the wind blowing on it. If I'm fishing on one and the wind's blowing on it, I'm not gonna go to one that the wind's not blowing on. I'll go to another point that has the wind blowing on it. In other words, I'm trying to duplicate as many scenarios as I can. That would literally include the wind, the watercolor, the structural element itself that I'm fishing, the cover on that structural element that I'm fishing. In other words, this big, long, tapering point happens to have some brush on it. Well, I'm not going to go to one with no brush on it. I'm going to go to another one that has brush on it because that's part of my pattern. If this one doesn't have brush on it, then conversely, I'm going to go looking for one that doesn't. Whatever it might be, the combination of structural element plus cover plus watercolor plus all of those things, as many of them as I can, I'm going to extrapolate and go to another spot just like it or as close as I can get on the lake. That's pattern fishing 101. That's the first thing I'm going to do. Um, let's say I'm catching them in the corner of a dam and it's going pretty good. Well, then I'm going to go to the other corner of the dam once they quit biting in that corner. No, I'm not going to fish my way all the way across the dam. I'm going to go to the other corner of the dam and try to maximize my catching time there. If I don't catch them at that corner, maybe I'll run back to the middle of the dam and start in the middle and see if I can pick up a bite or two there. If I don't, then I'm giving up on my dam pattern altogether and going somewhere else. Now, Let's say I'm putting, I put the boat in the lake and I get no feedback. I go to my first, couple, first spot, nothing. Go to my second spot, nothing. Third spot, still nothing. Okay, I'm not catching fish. Each time, I am going to go to a different kind of structural element until I am 100% convinced that that's the right one. So in other words, 
I'm gonna fish, let's say the boat ramp first, cause it's where I launched the boat. I'm gonna fish right here. Okay, no, no, no good there. Then I go to uh, the adjacent spawning cove. Okay, no love there. Well then maybe I'll move out of that cove and I'll move out on the main lake point. Okay, how do I fish here? Nope, didn't get any love there. Okay, so then maybe I leave there and I go work some straight banks on the lake or then I go to a dam face. The point being in all this is that I'm going to mix up my structural elements until I find the one the fish are holding the most consistent on. And it doesn't matter what my species is. If I'm walleye fishing and I'm catching them on a sandbar, well, I'm gonna go looking for another sandbar. Conversely, I show up tomorrow, they're not on that sandbar, well, then maybe they've moved to the adjacent riprap, or maybe they've pulled up and suspended in the water, and I don't need to be anywhere near the sandbar, but at the end of the day, it's the structural element that is the most important part of the whole thing. And for me, I always start, because we fish so many reservoirs, I always start with the, with the river channel, the creek channel, that's my key part to start breaking down the lake from there. That creek channel is what's going to determine all of the uh, points, the cuts, the the straight banks, the you know channel swings, all of those things are all determined by that river channel. So my whole system is going to base on the river channel. If I've got a great big reservoir, let's say I've got a reservoir like Lake Powell, several different rivers that come in, or we could scale it back a little bit and say something like Pueblo Reservoir here in Colorado that's I think it's around 5,000 acres, but there's lots of different channels that come into it, including the main river channel. I will use that as my feeder, then I'll work the sub-channels from there. And each one of those channels will define structural elements, and I will bounce between those structural elements until I find the one that is holding fish. Say I found all of them on secondary points, in other words, not the main point out on the main lake, but one of the secondary channel points as it goes back into the cove, Fantastic. I will then run from secondary point to secondary point to secondary point with as many characteristics as possible, and I will fish only that point. Let me let me clarify one thing with me here at Fishful Thinker. Uh, it is very, very rare, and I mean very rare, that you will find me, at least if I'm fishing on the clock, fishing areas. I fish spots, not areas, because areas take too long to break down. Um, areas add a lot of variables. I don't want to just drop the trolling motor and take off down the bank. It's very rare that I would do that. And then just go through all whatever I run into on the on that bank and go, you know, half mile down the lake or something. It is always the first thing I'm gonna to try to do is pinpoint the type of structure they're on. So let's say that instead of going a half mile down the bank, I stop at every transition in the bank where it goes from rock to gravel or where there's two or three docks or a small cut in the bank, but I'm not just gonna take off down the bank. I'm going to use the big motor on the boat and I'm gonna pull in and fish as small spot as I can and be as precise as I can. The reason being I can do so with the most confidence. Now, am I going to miss fish doing that? Am I going to fish over some fish? Oh, yeah, absolutely, 100%. But my fishing time over that, say, eight-hour day or a six-hour film day or five-hour guide trip will be maximized if I spend as much of that time on spots that I expect fish to be on or high-percentage 
places that fish would be on rather than just taking off and fishing a whole section and hoping to run into fish. In my mind, that's called junk fishing. Bass fishermen are familiar with that term. That basically means I'm, I'm reaching. I don't know enough to make any intelligent decisions and I'm just hunting along for some feedback from the fish. If you're gonna do that and, you, and, and maybe you're on a brand new lake you don't know anything about, you can't see anything about it, and you just wanna take off down the bank and learn some stuff, that's great. Just make sure you're fishing your most confident bait for those conditions. For me, 99% of the time, I'm gonna have a jig on one rod and a jerk bait on the other. If I'm in a, a hunt and peck mode, um, are those always the best bait? Absolutely not, but they will always get me some bites. It'll typically be a three or four inch gold minnow on a jig head and a jerk bait. Between those two, it's similar to my inlets, outlets, boat ramps, dams, and bridges uh, saying, between, those, between the gold minnow and the jerk bait, I can always get a few bites. Between those five structural elements I just named, you can always get a few bites, and so those are confidence things. If I don't know anything about a lake, I'm going to my most confident, or the spots, the type of spots I have the most confidence in, and I'm going to fish with the baits I have the most confidence in on those types of spots, because confidence catches fish. Since I just said confidence catches fish, let me throw this out there. I am an instinctual angler. I believe in being as observant as possible about everything that's going on around me. So let's say I'm fishing this, this point, and I'm catching fish, and my bites start to wind down. I think, oh, my fish are dying. The first thing I need to look around at is, did I have a, a conditions change? Did the sun go behind the clouds? Did the wind lay down flat? Did a bunch of boat traffic come up in the last 20 minutes and start throwing it up? Did, is there something in the environment that's changed that has put my fish off, or is it me and the fish? Is it just between me and the fish that the issue is? And so if it's something in the environment that changed, I'm more confident in my ability to go do something about it. If it's between me and the fish, maybe they quit biting, maybe they moved, da 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 There's a bunch of different things that could go on. But when the wind just laid down, well, okay, that's, that's an easy one to wrap your head around. Maybe you go chase wind. Maybe you go somewhere where the wind is blowing. Maybe it changed direction slightly, and you're going to go somewhere where it's blowing a little bit harder, something like that. But at the end of the day, I have to watch all the time for... The, the reasons my fish either quit biting or they're not biting in the first place. Did I, am I around them? Did they move? Did the conditions change? Or did they tune into my bait? Those are the things that really I need to, to keep track of on any given day. And the faster I can put them together, the better off I am. When I mentioned being observant and fishing with confidence, if whatever condition it is is what's generating my confidence, I'm for sure going to go run for that. In other words, let's say a windy bank. Windy banks for me are a high confidence thing, particularly wind blown on riprap or, or heavy gravel, something like that. That's a high confidence thing. If that wind lays down, my bite goes with it, I'm going to go looking for more of that wind somewhere else on the lake. If, if the flat, high bright sun and calm is out, well then I might rattle as fast as possible through a bunch of different types of structural elements and cover because I know fish aren't biting well in that scenario and I might need to just elicit a bite or two here and there and I might run around more in the boat. That can be a key thing. And since we fish multi-species, I'm going to end this podcast with this real quick. Uh, maybe you fish rivers. When I have to produce a television show, if somebody says I give you a million dollars to go catch a fish in the first 10 minutes, I'm going to run for a river as fast as possible because the thing about a river is this. 
I have less structural elements to look at. I basically have runs, pools, um, you know, channel swings, but I don't have near the number of structural elements I would have as I would have on a reservoir or a lake. I typically don't have weed lines to deal with or not much. Um, so I don't, I have less stuff to have to figure out in the first place. The second thing is I have less water depth to have to figure out. So I know that I can get my bait in front of my fish when the water's only a few feet deep. I know I'm not really fishing uh, over or under them. I'm fishing somewhere right around them. And I know which direction the fish are all facing because the current will tell me that. There's no fish in the world that's going to sit facing down current. Now understand, you might be reading the currents wrong. He might appear to be facing down current, but there's a, an eddy of some sort. But at the end of the day, as long as you're reading your currents right, you know which way they're facing. So if I'm in a river situation, I'm going to make my decisions a lot faster, a lot faster, because I have less things to have to make. So I might only go... I might make three or four casts to the head of the pool, done. I'm, okay, I'm done with the heads of pools. I'm going to fish the middle of the pool now. Okay, I'm going to make a few casts there. Okay, none. Oh, they're at the tail of the pool. Okay, got it. I get my feedback there. Then I can just really jump from tail to tail to tail up the river and catch all my fish or, or run to run to run or whatever the case might be. Again, a conditions change might, might force a change there. Um, let's say the fish are all staged in a deep pool and you're doing okay with a, with a jig or you're dredging with a streamer fly, whatever. Well, the hatch starts, they all move up to the head of the pool to start being the first guy to get, to get, get a hold of that hatch. Again, your fish will move with the conditions in that scenario. Uh, or let's say you're fishing and then the mud, the runoff starts, right? The sun comes out, it starts getting warm in the morning, you start getting runoff, everything gets muddy. Again, the fish will move to the banks, it's, but they, they haven't moved very far. They're going to be easy to find, and, uh, and addressing the conditions is easy. So there you have it, guys. Confidence catches fish. A few minutes without changing something. Uh, follows and swirls will teach you a bunch about how to catch other fish. Keep that in mind. Uh, use and trust your sonar units. If you don't trust them, don't use them. Uh, I trust them a lot, and uh, if they're not showing me fish in, in a scenario where I expect they would, then I'm out the door. I'm not going to stay there. But use and trust your sonar units. At the, at the end of the day, what's really going to make you a better angler is having the confidence to trust your instincts, pay attention to the conditions, make instinctual changes, paralleling with those condition changes, and you'll catch more fish. I strongly believe that. I believe that uh, being observant is your biggest asset as an angler. So that's been this episode of the podcast, guys. We appreciate you listening to it. Uh, hopefully you'll subscribe wherever you're listening. Uh, we would appreciate that very much. You can join the rest of our social media at Fishful Thinker on Instagram or Facebook. We would appreciate that. Uh, and of course, our YouTube channel, uh, lots and lots of videos there, something like 500 videos on, on the Fishful Tanker YouTube channel. Check that out or on Altitude Sports and also World Fishing Network. And check with your listings to see when we're on there. So thanks a bunch. This has been Fishful Tanker, the podcast.